Good morning. If you can find your seats and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1. Again, Exodus 20, verse 1. If you would, read along with me. And the Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we pray this morning as we look at this second command that you have given us, Lord, that we are not to make images of you or any other false god. We are not to worship images. We are not to make up a god, but only worship the god that, that has made us. God, be with us this morning as we examine this commandment and as we weigh out what false idolatrous worship is and how it's in contrast with your nature. God, I pray that we learn so that we better worship you, that we don't fall into some kind of ideology, Lord, in our own beliefs of who you are, Lord. So be with us this morning in your son's name. Amen. We are continuing again in the sermon series of the Ten Commandments. It should take us through most of the summer to get through the Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at the well, last few weeks, we've looked at the first commandment, which, as we've seen, is foundational to all the commandments. Again, if you would look at verse 2, it says this, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That who is who God is. Then we have the first commandment, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Israel was commanded by God to be monotheistic. Mono meaning one, theistic, theos, God, one God. Monotheistic. It was a nation that was to worship God alone. And it's important to know that this was really completely unheard of in all ancient civilizations. And I know it's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around this because we've grown up in a culture that is mostly monotheistic. But in the Old Testament, in the cultures and civilizations and nations that surrounded Israel, everyone was polytheistic. Poly meaning many theistic gods. They believed in many gods. In fact, it would have been unthinkable to most ancient people that a single god could be the only God. The first commandment was really countercultural. You shall have no other gods before me. Israel was to be exclusively dedicated to one God, to the only God, to the true God, to the living God, Yahweh. Again, the first commandment is primarily about who we are to worship. The second commandment, which we're going to look at today, is more about how we are to worship. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, an idol. You know, there's two things I want to do today. There's really two parts to the sermon. The first part, or the first thing I want to look at, is the cultural context of idol worship during the time of the Exodus. In other words, what was idol worship in the context of the Ten Commandments being given? It's going to be extremely important to look at that to understand, right, the command itself, which is the second thing I want to look at, the command itself. And I want to contrast 
in doing that idol worship to true biblical worship. So let's start by looking at the cultural context of idol worship. What was idol worship during the time of the Exodus? I have six characteristics, six characteristics of idol worship during the time of Exodus. And I really believe understanding these six characteristics will give us a better, deeper understanding of why the second commandment and what the second commandment is all about. So let's look at these six characteristics. The first one is this. Idol worship was normative. It was the norm, in other words. Just like polytheistic was, uh, theism was the norm, idolatry, or idol worship was the norm. In ancient world, without exception, idol worship was the normal way of worshiping a god. And when I say idol worship, I'm talking about carving, making a little statue, making a little image of a false god. And this point is super important because idol worship, and I want you to think about this, idol worship is what Israel was exposed to for 400 years in Egypt. It's what they knew. The Egyptians worshiped their gods through carved images. Therefore, the second commandment is making it very clear. God is saying, don't worship like the pagan nations worship." Don't worship like the, the Egyptians worship. Again, so the first characteristic of idol worship was that it was normative. The second characteristic of idol worship is that in antiquity, idol worship was always mixed with pagan carnal practices. Like gluttony or drunkenness. There are ways of worshiping idols, indulging in the fleshly desires, especially the sexual desires. And sexual activities is just one of the ways you would worship these false pagan gods through sex. It's why many ancient pagan temples had temple prostitutes. It was the way you engaged in worship. Now, there's a whole pagan worldview that supports this really perverse type of worship. We don't need to get into the details. It has to do with procreation and fertility. But it's important to understand that there is a direct connection between worship of idols and sexual activity. Sex was just a form of worship from the time of Exodus all the way through the history of the Old Testament all the way to the time of Jesus. In fact, if you look up pictures of ancient idols, and I'm not suggesting to do this, but Many of the statues and images are profane and even pornographic. The third characteristic of idol worship or idols is, this sounds simple, but it's extremely important. Idols are made. Idols are made. Again, it seems obvious, but it's a very important point. Look at verse 4. This is the second commandment, Exodus 20, verse 4. It says this, you shall not make. You shall not make. Idols are made by human hands. And the Old Testament over and over and over again emphasizes this point that idols are made by human hands, by man. Psalm 115.4 says, their idols, this is the pagan nations, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Deuteronomy 4.28 says, and There you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands. Idols are made, and they're made by human hands. Therefore, it's pretty absurd to worship them. In fact, it's stupid. Let me just stop and say that's a word that we're not allowed to use in our household. Unless it applies... And idol worship, it applies. It's stupid. In fact, the Bible makes this very clear. If you would, turn to Isaiah 44, verse 12. Isaiah 44, verse 12. This passage is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's one of my favorite just because I think it's funny. It's meant to be like satire. It's meant to be funny. It's meant to be sarcastic really exposing the stupidity of idol worship. 
Verse 12, if you would read along with me, it says this. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it. The it here, the antecedent to it is idols. He fashions the idol with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and or plans and marks it with a compass. Listen to this. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. I hope when I read this, and especially that last line, you see the arrogancy of this action. It's not just stupid, it's also arrogant. Idol worship is arrogant. Man thinks he can make a god. That's arrogant. And, it, and this arrogancy keeps going. Not only does he think he can make a god, but look what it says. He shapes this god. He shapes it into the figure of a man. In other words, he makes this god in his own image. It's a god made in the image of man, not the other way around. Verse 14, it keeps going. He cuts down a cedar, or he chooses a, a cypress tree or a, an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. In other words, he takes a log, cuts it in half. Half of it he burns, and the other half he makes a god. This is displaying the stupidity, the arrogancy. Look at verse 16. Half of it, right, this log, he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it, and he is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Again, I hope you see the arrogancy. It's meant to have a connotation and this idea of arrogancy in here. Let me just read a quote from Albert Moeller on idolatry. He says this, Idolatry is rooted in the depth of who we are. Augustine uh, got it to the very heart of this when he said that there are, in the end, only two types of love. There is the love of God, and there is the love of self. And in the end, every idol comes down to a love of self. We fabricate the idol, we fashion it, we feed it, we control it, we admire its beauty and its finitude, for in the end, it is us. It's the God made in man's own image brings us to a fourth characteristic of idol and idol worship. Fourth characteristic is this. Idols are physical and limited. Therefore, idols have needs. They can be, in other words, manipulated through their needs. Although idols represent a a divine deity of some sort, a false god, the idol itself is physical. It's physical and limited. It has needs. It it needs to be fed, clothed, and even housed. And again, for us, that sounds really stupid. It is. But it's this belief that really is foundational to the cult of idol worship. As long as you took care of the idol's needs, you fed it, you clothed it, you sheltered it, you sacrificed to it. As long as you kept the idol happy, in other words it would bless you in return, usually by multiplying your crops or cattle, giving you children, offspring, or bringing rain. Therefore, the relationship between the worshiper and the idol is kind of like a quid pro quo, or I scratch your back, you scratch my back. If I do this, then you, this this idol, this false god, if I do this, then you are obligated to, to bless me. Therefore, you can manipulate an idol to your benefit. And before I get to the fifth 
characteristic. Don't we do that with God? God, if I do this or if I stop doing this, then you're obligated to do this. It's legalism, by the way. Fifth characteristic. Idols are visible. Again, this sounds very obvious because it is. They're statues, they're physical, they're visible. But it's an extremely important point. Idols in antiquity were little physical statues that are visible. In other words, they enticed the eyes. Idols are seen, but they are not heard. Let me say that again. Idols are seen, but they are not heard. Listen to Psalms 15 once again, verses 4 through 7. It says this, The idol, the idols of the nations, the idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. In other words, they're made, they're physical, they're made of silver and gold. They have mouths. In other words, they have physical mouths, mouths that you can see. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, physical eyes, you can see a statue's eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. They are physical. They are seen. But they do not make a sound in their throat. In other words, they are not heard. This brings us to the sixth and final characteristic. Even though idols are lifeless... The Bible makes that very clear. Even though idols are lifeless, in other words, they're not gods, they are demonic. Once again, if you just looked up idols from antiquity, even modern day idols, they just look demonic. In one sense, let me be clear, in one sense, idols are nothing. The Bible makes that very clear. Acts 19.26 says this, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying, this is what Paul says, saying that God's made with hands, in other words, idols, God's made with hands are not gods. They're false gods. They're not real. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Therefore, in one sense, idols are nothing. They're made up, right? They have no real existence. But in, a, in another very real sense, idols are demonic. There's some kind of demonic activity mixed into idol worship. Revelation 9.20 makes this clear. Worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. 1 Corinthians 10, 20, again, Paul. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. This is in the Old Testament, too. Psalm 106, 34 says this. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. It's talking about Israel when they went into the promised land. There's to wipe out all the peoples within the promised land, and they didn't do it. But, verse 35 says, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served the, their idols, which became a snare to them. This is the Israelites. And look what happened. Verse 37, it says this. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. There is demonic activity involved with idol worship. And this is why God wanted his people to have nothing to do with idol worship. Because idol worship would become a snare to the Israelites. It really brings us to the second commandment. And that's the context the context of idol worship. What is idol worship? I mean, you really need to understand the context that, that God is speaking into when he speaks to the Israelites and what they knew of idol worship in that time period. Here's the command. Exodus 24, you shall, shall not make for yourself a carved image. In fact, if you would, turn back to Exodus 
20, verse 4. We'll read the whole command. The second part of this sermon, I want to look at the command itself. And then I want to compare idol worship to the, to the nature and character of who God is. Exodus 20, verse 4. Let me read it again. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now that's meant to be a completely um, comprehensive statement there. In fact, the, in the Hebrew, there's two different words for idols that are used. You should not make for yourself a carved image. That's one word that's used throughout the Old Testament as an idol. Or any likeness. That's another word that's used out through the whole Old Testament in Hebrew that is translated often as an idol. And not only that, it says not in the likeness of anything that is in the, the heaven above, the, the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. It's very comprehensive. Heaven, earth, sea. Do not make an idol. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. And here's the reason. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God says, I am a jealous God. He is jealous. Right? That Hebrew word jealous could be also translated zealous. Right? He has a zeal. God has a zeal for his name and his glory. He has a zeal that his people would not worship any false gods, but worship him alone. That's the first commandment. You shall not have any other gods before me. And that his people would not worship an idol. Right? The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. God will not be worshipped like the pagan gods because God is not like the pagan gods. Therefore, God will punish those who make an idol. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, we'll talk about this phrase a little bit more later on as we go through the book of Exodus, but I want to point out those last four words. Of those who hate me. Those are strong words. Why is idol worship, why is that equated to hatred of God? This is what Philip Ryken writes. The problem with idolatry even if you're making an image of God, and you're saying, I'm worshiping God through this image, the problem with idolatry is that it creates a false image of God that is inadequate of his deity and unworthy of his majesty. God is infinite and invisible. He's omnipotent and omnipresent. He is a living spirit. Therefore, to carve him into a piece of wood or stone is to deny his attributes, the essential characteristics of his divine being. An idol makes the infinite God finite, in other words. It makes the invisible God visible. The omnipotent God impotent. It makes the all-present God local. It makes the living God dead and the spiritual God material. In short, it makes him the exact opposite of what he actually is. Thus, the whole idea of idolatry rests on the absurdity of man being, man trying to make their own image of God. An idol is not the truth, but a lie. It is a God who cannot see, who no, does not know, who does not act, love, or save. Just think about the characteristics of the idol that we just talked about. They are made. They are limited. They have needs. They are physical. They are seen, but not heard. Now, this is what I want to do. Let's compare those to Yahweh. I have four ways idol worship is in conflict with the nature of God. Four ways idol worship is in conflict with the nature of God. The first way is this. Unlike idols... 
God is not made. It's an important point. In fact, it's the very first words of Scripture. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. In other words, God made the heavens and the earth. It's such an important statement. That's why we come back to it over and over and over again. There is a creator-creation distinction, right? Divide. God is not made. Creation is made. God is primary. Creation is secondary. God is, makes. He creates. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see this throughout Scripture, but let me give you a New Testament passage. John 1.1. It says almost the identical thing. In the beginning, but it says this, was the Word. It's logos in Greek. That's Jesus. As you continue down in the first chapter of John, it's obvious that this is talking about Jesus. In the beginning, instead of God, it says Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is a Trinitarian statement. Again, monotheistic, one God, but one God that is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it says this, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John's making a a clear point here. In other words, the triune God made. He made. He made. He created. He was not made himself. In fact, he's eternally existent from everlasting to everlasting. This is important. God was never made. He has just existed. Idols, on the other hand, are made. Major contrast between the false gods and the real God. This brings me to a second contrast. Unlike idols, man is made in the image of God, not the other way around. Again, let me say that again. Unlike idols, man is made in the image of God, not the other way around. The second commandment tells us not to make You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Let me be clear on what it doesn't tell us. It doesn't say that that God cannot make an image. You with me on that? In fact, he has made an image. Man. Genesis 1, 26 says this. Then God said, let us, the triune God, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made man in his own image. Meaning, this is important, God comes first, then man. God is primary, not man. God himself is the blueprints. Man is the creation. And this is why God commanded Israel in the second commandment, do not make an idol. Because idolatry teaches the exact opposite. Remember Isaiah 44 Verse 13, it says this, he, the idolater, he shapes it, the the idol. He makes the idol into the figure of a man. In idolatry, the, the idol, the false god, is made in the image of man. Meaning, in idolatry, man comes first, then God. Man is primary, not God. Man himself is the blueprint. God is the creation, meaning God is secondary, man is primary. This is why idolatry is so evil. 
This is why God hates idolatry. Again, verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Idolatry is equated to hatred of God because idolatry makes God something that he is not. One theologian put it this way, and it's something that we need to hear in modern Christianity. To worship the right God the wrong way is to testify to the wrong God. To worship the right God the wrong way is to testify to the wrong God. This brings me to another point. A third contrast. Unlike idols, God is not limited and therefore has absolutely no needs. And I would add to that, because he has no needs, you can't manipulate him. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We'll start in verse 16. Probably one of the greatest false beliefs that's going around the modern church in the last 200 years is that God has needs. And that he needs us. Paul makes it very clear that that's not the case. Starting in verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Let me just say, again, idolatry was the norm throughout the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament... Paul is in Athens, a famous city, and he looks around and there's just idols everywhere of these false gods. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now skip down to verse 22. It says this in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, picture this with idols all around him. This is what Paul said. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I, as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, right, these idols, I found also an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. Let me just stop there. They, they were so polytheistic, and they had hundreds of idols everywhere, but just in case they forgot one, they had an altar to the, the unknown God. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore... What you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And listen to this, verse 24. This is so important. The God who made. Let me say that again. The God who made. This is in contrast of all the gods that are around him. This is such an important statement. This is the second commandment says this, you shall not make. Why? Because God made. Verse 24, the God who made, God made man, not the other way around. Listen. We don't get to determine who God is. He is. He's revealed himself to us. We don't get to make him in our own image, to our likings. God is a reality. He revealed himself to us. We don't get to make him and mold him into what we want him to be. He made us, not the other way around. Verse 24, again, it says this. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God is not limited. He has no needs, meaning 
He does not need men. Meaning, he does not need you. He does not need me. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He is eternal. The need never goes from God to man. It always, always, always goes from man to God. Man needs God. Man is dependent on God. Verse 25, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If you don't have God, you don't have life, you don't have breath, you don't have everything. We need God for life and breath and everything. In other words, God gives, right? He himself gives. That's what grace is, by the way. You think you can manipulate God by doing good works to get to heaven or to be healthy or to be wealthy? You're worshiping an idol. The biblical God has no needs. He cannot be manipulated. He's the one that gives. We are called to repent and put our faith in him. God gives, not the other way around. That's the difference between idols, false gods that are made, and the true, living, limitless God. This is the point Paul's making. Verse 26, he says it again, And he made... God made, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined lauded periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, not only did he make you, but he made you when he wanted you and where he wanted you. Idolatry does the exact opposite. Man makes God and puts him where he wants to put him and when he wants to put him. 27, that they should seek God and perhaps find their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, God is primary. Man is secondary. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Verse 29 says, and being the offspring, God's offspring, meaning he made us, he made us in his image, we, we are made by him, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In idolatry, the worshiper makes a God by his own creativity, in his own image. A God that's physical, made of gold, silver, or stone. A God that, that has limits. A, a God that's in need. Then he attempts to manipulate that God to accomplish his selfish goals. The biblical worldview is the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite is true. God's all-powerful. God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. And he is sovereign. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is primary. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is the God who made. We are the creation, not the other way around. It is completely arrogant to read about God and say, yeah, I don't believe in that. My God would never send someone to hell. My God would never do that. You're making a God in your own image. You're creating a God. This brings me to the fourth and final contrast. Unlike idols, God is not physical and or visible, but he does speak. 
In other words, a true God is heard and not seen. Remember, idols, again, are the exact opposite. They are seen, but they are not heard. Again, if you would turn to Psalm 115, verse 4. We've gone over the psalm over and over again, but I I want you to see this. We've talked about this passage, but I want you to see this. Psalm 115, verse 4. This is talking about the, the idols of the nations surrounding Israel. It says their idols, this is the nation's idols, the pagan nations, their idols are silver and gold. In other words, their idols are physical. They're silver and gold. They're the works of human hands. They are made. They're physical and they're made. But now listen to the description of what they are. It says this in verse 5. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Now, the author is making a point here that may not jump out at you at first. But there's only one thing mentioned twice in this description of an idol. Did you see it? And it's not a coincidence. It's the very first thing and the very last thing. Verse 5, in the very beginning, it says this, They have mouths, but do not speak. And the very end of this, the the end of verse 7, it says, They do not make a sound in their throat. That's the main point. Idols are seen, they're physical, but they do not speak. They're not heard. God, on the other hand, is heard and not seen. Remember Exodus thirty-three twenty. it says this, but he, that's God, said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. This is true in the New Testament too. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that he, that God, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. God is not seen. He is heard. He has spoken. Remember Mount Sinai. What did God do? He veiled his presence in smoke and clouds so that no one could see him clearly. Deuteronomy 4.11 says this, And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of the heavens, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. Listen to this. You heard the sound of his words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. Unlike idols, God is a God who has spoken. And he is known through his words. You know, this is even true with Jesus. Although Jesus, being 100% man, was physical. He was seen. But he made it very clear that his sheep would hear his voice. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In fact, we have his voice clearly written down in the word of God. There's all types of controversy on what he looks like. Paul said this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. It doesn't come from seeing. Plenty of people saw Jesus and had no faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, not the sight of Christ. God is a God who is heard, not seen. You know what this teaches us? It teaches us that the focus of Christian worship, that the focus of of the Christian life, that the, the Christian's relationship with God, the focus needs to be centered on the word of God. Because God has spoken. And his words are powerful. God has spoken, and it is powerful. Unlike idols who have mouths that you can see, 
don't speak. Our God has spoken. The one true, the only God has spoken. This is why the center of our worship is the word of God. This is why we we have a pulpit right in the middle of this room. We call this the worship center. And right in the center of this room is a pulpit. Not because of the man behind the pulpit. In fact, if there was another man behind the pulpit, I would sit down to listen to the authority, which is the word of God. In fact, I'm excited to get our other pulpit back because it's big. It makes a statement. That this church is founded on the word of God. It's the center of our worship. This is why we pray the word of God. This is why we sing the word of God. This is why we proclaim the word of God. This is why we teach the word of God. This is why we read the word of God out loud in public. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. That's the word of God. That's why we get an elder to come up here to read the Word of God. That's why I read the Word of God before I preach the Word of God. That's why we close the whole worship service with the reading of the Word of God. This is why the preaching of the Word of God is the high point of our worship service. Because it's the proclamation of God's Word. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you, this is Paul telling a pastor what he should do, I charge you in the presence of the living God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Proclaim God's word. This is why we teach our children God's word at home. Deuteronomy 6.7, you shall teach them, that's God's words, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You know what that is? Always. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses or on your gates. God's word should soak the house. It should be saturated with God's word. That's why we're called to send cross-cultural workers armed with God's word. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call upon him, or how will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach Unless they are sent. Sent by who? Sent by the church. We send men and women to places where there is no word of God being proclaimed. You know what? To go proclaim the word. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The good news is God's word. The gospel. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing. Not seeing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Therefore, we are not to worship God in the same way the pagans worship their false gods. The pagans relied on sight. It's one of the reasons you walk in this worship center. There's not a whole lot on the walls. There's not a lot of pictures or images or carved images. You go to other worship services, worship places, what do you see? God is a God that's heard. The pagans relied on sight. They made physical idols. Exodus 24 tells us, this is what God's command is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. God is saying, you shall not worship like the other nations because I'm not like their gods. I am not made. I am the creator. I am not limited. I am limitless. I do not have needs. I am the provider. I am the giver. I'm the one that provides grace. I am not physical. I am spiritual. I am not seen. 
I am heard through his word. Again, so important to worship the right God the wrong way is to worship the wrong God. There are many people claiming to be Christians. There are many churches claiming to be worshipers of God, but they are worshiping a false God because they are not worshiping the true God the way he has called them to worship through his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our God, our Father in heaven, Lord, I, I look at the Old Testament and, and even the New Testament, but especially the Old Testament, and, and I see your people, how, how easily they're enticed by their eyes, how easy they're enticed by, by making up a God that is not the God of Scripture, and how it led them to destruction and evil and sacrificing even of their own children. God, I see how easy that is for God's people. And I pray that you continue to guard our church from any of these idolatrous ways. Help us to go to your word always. Help us to, to proclaim and believe in, in you and what you've revealed about your character and who you are. God, I pray that if we ever lose focus of your word, that you have spoken, and that we know you through your words. If we ever lose focus, God, I just pray you shut down this church. I also pray that for those in this body, Lord, that we would be bold to go proclaim your words to our town, to our culture that we would share your words, the gospel, what you have done for us, Lord, and that we would do it boldly. God, you are great. Help us worship you the way you deserve. Amen.